Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dom Roberts, a designer, creative, and activist living in Los Angeles. This is The Uncomfortable Podcast, a show where I speak with new friends, fellow activists, and guests all united and passionate about different injustices or just generally uncomfortable topics. It's time to dig deep into the human experience, and that's on period. It's all love. Let's get uncomfortable. Welcome back to my weekly podcast, Taste of Taylor. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker, and today joining me, I'm so excited. I love to play radio podcasting. Honestly, I love to play TV. I love to play all the things with her. Her name is Claudia Ashray. It's not Ashray. Hey, girly girl. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, girl. Hey. And I'm just so happy that you're joining me on your book tour, Biznage. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Oh my God, no, thank you for having me. You're a queen and I absolutely adore you and everything about you. Oh my God, samesies. I am so proud of you. Let's just jump right in. You are... You, it's not even a book tour anymore because the book is out. Yeah, well, I don't get to like have a book tour because of COVID, which I'm so sad about. But um, yes, this is my virtual book tour. Wait, I have a question. Were you crazy obsessed with Sex and the City? Like literally you thought it was your life? Or is there enough of an age discrepancy that it, you like liked it but not like, you know, you didn't base your life plans on it, basically? That's a really funny question, especially because I'm kind of in this place right now where I've been rewatching the movies because there's this new um, show coming out and Samantha's yes. not a part of it. And my job is to like talk about pop culture. So I've kind of just been reacquainting myself with the series. And I have so many thoughts on it. And I actually have a big part of my book about Sex in the City because I think Sex in the City is a really interesting case study for like television shows. I love Sex in the City. I mean, I have my problems with it, i.e. Carrie. But um, what a fucking moron. The worst. You know what's so funny? I'm watching the movie in Abu Dhabi. Oh, and so Sex in the City 2, the second movie. Yes. Go. The second one. Yeah. And I'm getting to this point where she's like feeling really insecure about her marriage. And she goes on, spoiler alert, that date with Aiden where she ends up oh, yeah. kissing him. And before she leaves to the date, she runs into Charlotte and she says the nastiest fucking thing to Charlotte. She says, just because you're worried about your marriage doesn't mean everyone's going to cheat. She never yep. apologized for that. She was nope. just, that was just one example of like her being insane and how the show, I can't believe it was so successful when it was centered around her, when Miranda and Samantha were such better characters. I know. We're all, I remember, I watched in a time where Carrie was everything. We were yep. all like, I'm the Carrie. No, I'm the yeah. Carrie. We were also 20. And nobody wanted to be the Miranda. 
No, if someone said you were the man, Miranda, it was like, how insulting. I am not a lesbian. Meanwhile, I am. <laughs> but <laughs> stop. Wait, I literally wrote a huge part in my book about this. How like growing up is realizing like you don't want to be the Carrie. You want to be no. the Miranda. She is a modern woman. She's a partner at a law firm. She was the first to buy her own apartment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. She's yeah. kick ass. She's amazing. I mean, I actually, I based my life on Charlotte. Well, Fuck. I think we all like to think we're Charlottes, you know? I like, in a dream world, like, yeah, I'm Charlotte, but I'm not Charlotte at all. Like, I'm a mess, and I'm just the opposite of Charlotte, but I appreciate her aesthetic. Carrie is the pits McGitts, and she's literally, I don't use this word because it's a nasty, vile word, but she's... She's a contasaurus in um, the wow. Sex and the City Park Wow, you too. said it. She you is, went there. I did. She really, and t- I mean, if Tay, if you want to bleep it out, bleep it out, because Stop. we don't use that kind of language on this show. Um, we just say fuck 18 million times. By the way, I have a question for you. I know, I know you're interviewing what? me. Yes, please. But because Taylor, your girlfriend, edits your podcast. Fiance. <clears throat> my fiance. Oh, oh my God. <gasps> I'm so <laughs> sorry. That's so insulting. But I was going to say, like, because she edits your show, like, I can say stuff on my podcast. Ben never listens. Like, I could talk shit. He would never know. But, yeah. like, you have Taylor listening to all your episodes. Do you feel like you either fil- filter yourself or you say stuff on the podcast, like, knowing, like, you want her to hear it? Like, oh, I'm really looking. I really like this bag from Bloomingdale's. I just, I let it rip and I pay the consequences later. Yeah. That's just how it, it has to be. Because you're a true host. <laughs> I, am, I am committed to my craft. I respect it. I <laughs> but oh, I love that with the Carrie, but wait. So as horrible as Carrie is, it is delicious when she writes her book and, you know, she goes on that stupid Amtrak train out to San Francisco for her book tour because God only knows why. But right. Like, she has her book party. It's very fabulous, you know? Yeah. So are you having, like, is it that fabulous, as it was portrayed in Sex and City, to be an author? Okay, that's a really good question. And I've been, like, lamenting over these past few weeks that I won't have a book party. Because you know me. I throw a party for, for anything. Everything. I just love parties. I, like, love my friends and family so much. Like, I just want to hang out with them. So the fact that I haven't been, like, I won't be able to have a formal book party is really upsetting me. And I keep thinking, I'm like, Carrie's party in the series is so oh, fabulous. Like, epic. that would have been my inspiration, my mood board for the party planner, you know? So it kills me because she made it look so fabulous. My experience has been very fabulous. I'm not going to lie. Like, there's something really, I mean, I'm a podcaster. I'm an influencer. I'm a comedian. These are jobs that I think people tend to look down on it's true it's the world that we live in you know what i'm gonna say for now but i think back in the day 10 years ago people were like reality tv and now look at the kardashians so i just feel like i'm elevating my brand now being able to label myself as an author so i'm really excited about that but it is really fabulous i'm doing a lot of stuff from home um which is not fabulous i can definitely confirm it's not fabulous how did we even get to this point where you have a book? Because it's a major deal. It's a big deal. You are a lot of things. I guess, like you said, author now is one of the uh, pieces of your resume. But like, how long ago did you start it? When did you want to write it? I need history. I always wanted to write a book, but, uh, and I had a book proposal like saved that I used to like edit all the time for my future book. And I pitched it a few times and it got no traction. And this was when I was in college. So I think it was probably for the best because I really didn't have anything to say. And then this time came in my life where I was, you know, bouncing back from a major, you know, setback in my career and things were going super well. And I felt like I had learned a lot and I had just experienced more in my life that I thought was worth writing about. So I really, redid my book proposal and it was, you know, much more well received. And I started writing the book, um, right at the beginning of quarantine. So like end of February slash March of 2020. 
How hard is it to write a book? It's hard. Like, it's really hard, especially because I was that kid. Like, I never was a good student. I started my career blogging. So writing in the way that I write, which is very conversational, always came natural to me. But deadlines and, you know, grammar, that was never my strong suit. (laughs) I've had people ask me to write a book for like a long time. And I'm just like, I'm so impressed when I have friends who actually put pen to paper and get this shit done because I hate writing so much. Like, I don't think I can ever, like, I know it would be a good idea. I, I think it's something down the road I'll end up eventually doing. I would like to write like a book that would then become a screenplay or like of a TV show or like a blockbuster movie, you know, the huge. But you know what? It's when so we hard. were given writing assignments in school, we were always writing Ugh. about like history or other people or books. It's right. not as boring to write about yourself. Like I'm a narcissist. It's much more fun. True. 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 Wait, did, did you keep journals and like diaries and stuff as a kid? Never. Me neither. Me neither. And I am so mad at my younger self. I'm like, bitch, you could have been when you were grounded writing your fucking book. You right. little dick. I always wish that like when I was grounded, I wrote songs because I've always been very musical. And I really like, felt like I missed an opportunity to become like Olivia Rodrigo or Taylor Swift, like writing beautiful music. And I, don't get me wrong. Like, I think I have an amazing voice, but I'm not, you know, a poet and I don't have those skills. But I really wish that I did. I tried to write a song when I was in high school because I learned how to play the guitar. And it was to my boyfriend that I wasn't allowed to date. My parents kept me from him. And it was so, the lyrics are like, I never knew that love existed. Thought it was a fairy tale. And I I forgot the rest of it. It was the fucking worst song in the world. I performed it at like the church of my all-girl Catholic school. (laughs) A songwriter, I was not. (laughs) But that's what I wish I did with my free time. But like, do you think that you could, I mean, you did write and make a song. That yes, is I can't take literally- credit. I did not write my song, Toast. I, I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm bad at. Like I would never, you know, hire someone to, you know, run my social or do comedy, right. write jokes for me. I wrote all my own jokes, but I would definitely bring in someone to write a song. Like I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Like I have people, I have someone to do my makeup. I'm not going to my makeup. I have someone to do my hair. I'm not going to my hair. I have someone who wrote my song. Like I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not. Um, by the way, Toast is my fiance's favorite song. Well, world. your fiance is a woman of taste and it's literally <laughs> the best song. Like, I can't believe that. I, I mean, I've always song. wanted to like write a song, but nobody, t- I didn't even take myself seriously. <laughs> and I just think what we ended up with was really like a premium piece of music. It was. It really was. Okay, so in case I haven't mentioned it, guys, the book is out. It came out January 26th, so if you haven't already received your copy, go get it now. It's called Girl With No Job, The Crazy Beautiful Life of an Instagram Thirst Monster. Thirst Monster, negative or positive? Well, it just depends, you know, who's speaking, because I really feel like thirsty in this Instagram digital age has become like a negative thing when it's really just a networker. You know, we don't we don't shit on people who network. Yeah, well, I, so I have a question because I have coined myself like the world's most um, proficient social climber. Like, oh, everyone's like, I, how did you get to I where you that. are? And I'm like, I'm a social climber. That's how I did it. Thirst monster, social climber, kind of like very similar, right? Yeah. And they both have negative connotations. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, sorry, I'm personable. And, you know, I know where, when important people are in the room and I want to talk to them. (laughs) Wait, I have a question. Did I social climb you or did you social climb me? I think we probably social climbed each other because we both had something that like the other wanted. You know, you had like a major platform and I had Instagram followers and we both, you had the one thing I didn't have and I had the thing that you didn't have. (laughs) So we just completed each other. 
What's the biggest social mountain you've ever climbed? Wow, that is a deep question. I mean, any time I end up at like a fabulous gathering of fabulous people, that's when I'm like, I did it. Like I am climbing the Mount Everest of society. It's, I'm so proud of myself. And I actually talk about in the book, like a lot of those unbelievable experiences that I had. And it's bizarre because- my job is to like dish on celebrity culture. Like every, all my content is like so centered around pop culture. And then when I get to these places, it's hard for me because I'm dying, like dying inside. But you get invited to these places under the premise, like you're not going to take pictures and like, you know, you don't have to be a loser. You and I talk all the time. We love to gossip. We love to share stories. But like both of us are such, our jobs require us to like spill tea and like get secrets and share them. Do you ever get scared telling me secret things? And I will answer the same question. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like I name dropped so many people in the book and I did not give them a heads up or anything. And I, I, for the most part, wrote positive stuff. Um, But I just feel like that's something you have to like double check with people on that I did not do. The tone of the book, is it going to be like just pure comedy? Is it going to be serious? I feel like you're going to deal with some, you deal with the cancellation. Yes, very deep. I I set out to write a funny book because I'm a funny person and I like to... I like to think of like my platform as being like a really positive place. And sometimes, you know, talking about like the death of your dad, this not positive. But the more I wrote, I was like, I want this to be, I don't want this to just be like a book that I put out, like to make money. Like I want this to be a serious, vulnerable, earnest book that addresses so many things people are always asking me about and so many things that I've experienced. So the book ended up being a lot more vulnerable than I had intended. And it definitely has those funny, I would say it's like, 60% funny, 40% serious. But there are a lot of things that like were very difficult for me to deal with that I just could, I literally couldn't joke about. This episode of Taste of Taylor is brought to you by California Cryobank. If you're a queer or single woman looking to make yourself a baby, I never thought I'd say this, but I've got a sperm hookup for you, girl. Mm -hmm. The Sperm Bank Heroes at California Cryobank believes that love is love and they are 100% here for the LGBTQ plus community. They have been helping lesbians have kids for over 40 years, and they gave me an amazing promo code that you can actually use on cryobank.com. I'm telling you, write this down. Ready? The code is Taylor. I know, it's so tricky. <laughs> JK. Obviously, easy to remember, it's my name, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, and this code gets you 90 days of next-level donor info that really changes the game. Their site is like the perfect dating app, except you never have to meet the guy, and you just get a sperm, and then you run. This free subscription is a $145 value and lets you learn so much about the donors. You guys, you may actually get to know them better than their like closest friends and relatives. You may end up learning more about them than I even know about my fiance. We might know our sperm donor better than we know each other. Create a free account and go down a sperm donor rabbit hole. It's actually pretty fun. So I've talked about this before. I have daydreamed about using my genius, handsome, Harvard professor, best friend from my childhood as my sperm donor. But in truth, Taylor and I, my fiance and I, we are planning on going to California Cryobank. They are the only place where we can find donors that even come close to the gorgeous, stunning, and brilliance of my friend from childhood. Yes, the Harvard professor. And it's really important to be a sperm donor snob, okay? This is going to be your baby. If you think you're picking on dating apps, hello. No, 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 no. This is like next level. And you know I'm a snob about wine. You know I'm a snob about my clothes 
everything. You think I'm not going to be a snob about my baby's future? You cry. So if any of you out there are looking for donor sperm, just go to cryobank.com, open a free account, and use code TAYLOR to activate your free subscription today. That's cryobank.com, C r-y-o-b-a-n-k dot com and make sure to use that code taylor t-a-y-l-o-r to activate your free subscription today and now to the podcast so what percentage do you think we're gonna cry along with you I mean, I think anyone who's dealt with grief especially in a parent will definitely relate to I think it's in chapter I want to say two but I have no idea maybe one because it it's not something I talk about a lot but I kind of go through like I, I was in high school um, I was a month into high school when my dad passed away he wasn't sick. He, you know, no pre-existing conditions. Like he just literally one day had a heart attack and dropped dead. And how to deal with that as someone who's a freshman in high school in a new school, it was really, it was really traumatizing. Um, and then growing up, like having to figure out, you know, how to live without a dad is really, really hard. That's the thing that I think a lot of people will, will relate to. And I think that's probably the part of the book that's most sincere, if not chapter four, which is all about body image, because I've always struggled with my weight. Yeah. And I went to fat camp as a kid and I have some fucking wild stories from fat camp and, and becoming like a, a famous person who's fat is a very strange dynamic because it's not always done. It's not a popular thing, you know, and it, it is getting better, you know, for body positivity and like body neutrality in 2021, but we're still yes. like not even close to where we need to be. So becoming, you know, well-known. And then the first thing people always do is comment on my body. Like that's very detrimental to my self-esteem and my self-worth. That's something that, I mean, I relate to a lot of stuff with you because we've been friends for a while, but definitely the body, I will say this, Claudia, you have been um, like a body image icon for me since I met oh you. God. I swear to God. Thank and you. I have so struggled with my weight and, you know, and even when I was like, I look back at pictures now when I thought I was like chubby or overweight or I would have used the word fat, you know, because I was being careless, but... I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, I was like a total button. I was so cute. Yeah. I couldn't even fucking enjoy it. And I, you know, when I met you, like you're somebody, the last word actually that comes to mind for me to, for you is that you're fat or chubby or whatever. You're Thank beautiful you. and you're confident. I swear to God. Confidence is everything. I mean, it, it changes how people see you. It and does. I think that I'm just a person who, who, really and not in a cocky way like I just think that I'm gorgeous like I think that I'm you gorgeous are. and that's not are. something that's not a conclusion I came to easily it's it's taken me a while to get here but it's so liberating like I just encourage every single person man or woman to just work on themselves in terms of how you see yourself because when but you see, get to a place of like happiness when it when it comes to yourself and your body and your image right. and we live in an image obsessed world you you have this layer of protection like nobody can hurt you like honestly if somebody were to call me fat right now I would just be like yeah I know what what else like it doesn't hurt me the way that it used to but that took years of work so how did you get there so I detail it a lot in the book and I'm not gonna you know spoil yeah I don't want any. you to spoil anything yes but it's a decision you have to make a conscious decision you know confidence you know not born with confidence we live in a mm -hmm. fucked up world and through tv and and magazines like we're always 
our self-worth is always being chipped away at in whether it's subconscious or not. But I made a, a conscious decision a really long time ago that I am going to like the way that I look. And wait, and question, and not with the caveat because I played this game with myself where I'm like, I'm going to like the way I look when I lose blank amount of weight no. or when I start working out or when I get, it's, it's like my self-worth is tethered yep. to this the size of my clothes and the number on the scale and it's fucked up and I'm just being totally totally vulnerable with it but like I don't even know how to do it I don't even know how to get confident without that weight component it's not your fault like you're just it's a byproduct of this like skinny obsessed world that we live in and once you just kind of shelter yourself from it and just work on on the only opinions mattering like if you are happy with yourself and you like the thing is to me like I look in on your life and you have an like knock on wood obviously you have an amazing life like Taylor fucking loves you adores you you have a successful business you have an amazing home you have a family who loves you like I don't know why you wouldn't be confident like what's not to be confident about you're one right. you're honestly one of the funniest people I've ever met you have an amazing personality everyone who meets you and when I introduced you to my family they were all like oh when's Taylor coming to the next party like you just have that sort of energy that you radiate so why is that not enough I don't know. It, it is. I mean, in New York City, does not fucking help. No. I'll tell you, I've always been bad and always really vain, like, when it comes to myself. But New York City pushed me over the edge, and I was in a relationship which put me in a circle of people that just, like, it really sealed Destroyed. a goddamn deal. That, like, skinny was yeah. life. And if you aren't skinny, this is me saying this to myself, if I wasn't skinny, I was worthless. It's, like, the fucking... And the craziest thing is, I know so many skinny girls who are worthless. Of course. It has nothing to do with weight. That's what's so crazy. Like, once you figure that out, it's a part of adulthood realizing, like, your weight literally does not matter. It doesn't and should not affect your ability to have, like, a full, happy life. And I think being in a healthy or a not healthy relationship has a lot to do with it, too. Because the way that I think about it, which is what I always say, is, like, I, I'm, I'm married now. I've been married since I was 22, I think. And... To me, I have the best husband. Like, he's... I am obsessed with the two of you. So funny. He's so kind. He loves me so much. He loves me for my insides, for my outsides. Like, and to me, I look at Ben, like, as a totally unbiased third-party perspective. He is a catch. He's hysterical. He comes from a great family. He's, like, just his parents are angels. Like, Ben likes me. I must right. be incredible because I know Ben is a catch. I know a million girls who would die to be with you know Ben, what? you know? So I must be <sighs> incredible. Same with you. Look at your, look at Taylor. Look at Taylor. I know. Well, no, but this is what I'm saying is, so for me, cause see, th I need to get a little bit of that inside this brain and like soul, because when I look at Taylor, this is truly what I, for, like, I, I think off the bat. And I'm going back to even like when we first started dating, when I was probably, I'm not joking, literally 30, 40 pounds lighter. Okay. Mm -hmm. But same mentality throughout my whole fucking yeah. life. I literally, you, my number one fear when Tay and I like came out together, well, there was a lot of fears, but one of the major <laughs> ones, I remember thinking people are going to think that we don't match. We don't right. look good together. And I'm the weakest link of this part, this physical partnership. Killer. Isn't that insane? Rather than, and she thinks I'm so beautiful and she could not reiterate more. It's, I, I love you with this weight. She's like, I love the curves. No, but you know what? And I'm not saying that like you need to be in a healthy relationship to like have a source of confidence, but if you're looking for different ways of thinking about it, I think it's yes. really helpful to like look at your partner and obviously you love your partner. You think the world of your partner and your partner chose you like that should make you feel so good. I know. Assuming I you're in a healthy, like you know, relationship.
Well, I mean, I'm I'm reading your book no matter what, but I'm definitely reading it for this fucking confidence section. To, and to be honest, like I've given the book, I sent you a copy. I've given a book to like uh, like probably 30 of my closest friends and family. And when getting their feedback, I assumed that they would, you know, love my chapter on cancel culture because I think it's very poignant. And the chapter that people have really responded to the most is the chapter on body image. And that's just not what I expected because to me, body image, I talk about it all the time. It's so natural, but it's sort of taboo, like for a, yeah. a chubby person to like think that they're sickeningly gorgeous, but I do. And it's very <sighs> quote unquote brave of me, but I just think that I'm stunning. Like I'm looking at myself in the Zoom right now. Like I look Gorgeous. You're I'm wearing gorgeous. so much makeup and like a $300 shirt, but still it counts. <laughs> You're hashtag brave. Yeah. Do you hate oh, that? That's the thing. It's like, if you dare to think of yourself in a positive light as a fat person, like you're brave. Like, why is it that brave? I'm gorgeous. Like, that's it. Oh, the world we live in is so fucked up. I can't I wait. I can't wait until that portion. Do you think it's ever going to change or no? I mean, if you think about it, like we're, we're getting better. We're getting it's yeah, so we're, much we're better, better now um, in terms of like so having some sort of neutrality in yes. pop culture and mainstream media when it comes to weight. But we have a lot of work to do. What was the hardest part of this book to write? Probably the part about my dad, because yeah. I started therapy when I start and I'm still like finding my my footing with therapy. I'm really a proud of that. You. I like. We talked about this last time we spoke, but I have a great therapist for you oh, who yeah. actually helped me come out as a lesbian. So, thank you. You know, that comes um, with a warning. <laughs> like, <laughs> I realized through therapy, like, I suppress my emotions. And I always thought that I dealt with my dad's death in a very, very healthy way. And anytime I went to therapy with like these different therapists, they're like, so let's talk about your dad's death. I'm like, no, no, I worked that through. Like, let's talk about my anxiety, you know? Right. And it was always this thing. And a lot of therapists were like, you have not dealt with it. And I'm like, no, no, I'm telling you, I know it sounds crazy, but like I've dealt with it. Like I'm fine. And I've realized that I really have not dealt with it. And writing the book and like going through the day I found out and like Shiva and then going back to school, I it was very difficult for me to like unpack those emotions because I had suppressed them for so long. So I would just like sit in my bed, write and cry. Oh God. But it was very cathartic. It really was. Did you start therapy up again? Like, cause I know you right after your dad passed away, you were in therapy and then you took a break and the canceling situation is what got you back into therapy. Well, what's so interesting is that I actually did not go to therapy after my dad died. Like we had went to a grief counselor and I don't know, me and my sisters just like really relied on each other that we didn't need it. Like if we wanted to talk, like there was so many safe spaces for me and my sisters to talk about it at home that I didn't connect at all with the concept of therapy. I think my mom just put us there because I think she thought it was the right thing to do. And it was, and it wasn't bad. I have no um, bad memories. I just don't remember really connecting to the whole thing. And I only started like more legit therapy, maybe two years ago I started and I didn't like it. And then I went back. And then during the pandemic, I started to do it virtually because I was just, my, my anxiety was through the roof and so much of it, I would say probably all of my anxiety is connected to my cancellation in 2018. Every time you and I speak, whether yeah. it's uh, professionally or it's personal, you always apologize to me for what you've put me through because I'm your friend post you getting canceled. I want to talk a little bit about that because I don't think people understand the amount of shame that you carry around. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole chapter on cancel culture. And that's the thing that I struggle with. And that's why I go to therapy. 
And I always, because to me, like, I love you. And I know you've become like sort of like a punching bag for your problematic friends, like Stassi me. And I don't think that's fair. I think that's a part of cancel culture. It's like, if somebody does something wrong, everyone around them is expected to speak out and condemn. And if you don't, you're canceled too. Or get canceled. Yeah. There, it's a, I call it the cancel dominoes, you know? Yeah. It's, like, it's a cycle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so every time I see you, like, I know you get so much shit for being my friend. And when you have me on your podcast, I'm sure some of your listeners are not going to be happy. And that makes me so sad because, you know, you work so hard. You have an amazing business. And then it's like my bullshit. My torpedo is like throwing shrapnel at you. Yeah. Fuck you. Give me 10% of everything you make <laughs> off the book. <laughs> Cover the damages. No, you got it. seriously, I talked very candidly during the summer, you know, because it was, I mean, legit. Strike one was you for yep. real in terms of that. Um, and then Stassi definitely was, a, a you know, it, it, I had a little PTSD from, from me, from your go around yeah. the summer. And I care about my audience so much and their opinions really matter to me. Of but course. I, I kind of, I got to a point where I was like, guys, Listen, what kind of a fucking friend in person? Truly. Yes, a, a PC culture and like what we're supposed to do on the surface aside, who would I be as a person if when my friends who are really my friends mm -hmm. got into trouble or stepped in it at their hardest, darkest time, I'd be like, fuck you, cancel, deuces. It a lot be of people do that though. So out of all of your friends that you had before you got mm -hmm. canceled, what percentage pieced on you? during the cancellation i'm talking about friends who work in this industry not like my home friends and college no. friends we're talking about like yeah because the, well this industry is weird because yeah we're friends but we're also co-workers and we do business together it's uh it's, it's enmeshed it's it's kind of messy and i kind of have a tendency to like start real friendships with people that i meet through work just because i work so much and i think that's mm -hmm. a good thing but but when you get canceled it puts a lot of people in a bad spot um so yeah. i would say like I probably haven't spoken to like half of those people since 2018. 50%. Yeah. Let me ask a real question. Mm -hmm. Do you think that their businesses, if we will, right, benefited from taking a step away from you? Probably. Yeah. That's the world we live in for sure. Hmm. Well, I'm really regretting my decisions. <laughs> Just kidding. Stop. No, for me, I'm really loyal. I'm ride or die. And as long as people make mistakes and they're genuinely, genuinely remorseful um, and want to grow and learn, I will fuck with that person. And also, if I'm in a position where I can help somebody change their perspective or say, I'll never do that again, mm -hmm. because especially someone like you, someone like Stassi, you guys have such big platforms. Do you, And a lot of times people follow like-minded people. So imagine when a like-minded person says, oh shit, she recognized that that was wrong. She feels shame about it and will never do it again. They will learn something from your journey of, um, well, I mean, it's kind of an apology tour, but yeah. when it's genuine, people yeah. will learn lesson. I mean, this is different, but what, I mean, I was identifiably straight for like pff, eight years of my career. Mm -hmm. So when I came out as gay or in a same sex relationship or whatever you want me to call it. So I had some listeners reach out and say, I'm done. You're a sinner. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God. Which a sinner? I can't. What it year is me. it? Right? Right? That's crazy. crazy. But I also have people write out, reach out to me and say, I'm so deeply conservative and I'm from, you know, a southern state and mm -hmm. I'm like a churchgoer. And they said, but, you know, I used to have very... Um, 
steadfast political views on gay marriage and, you know, the rights of the LGBTQ plus. And I have completely done a 180 because you are my friend and I would never deny you the right to get married or the right to have children. That's what you want to do. And you are like my friend, even though we've never met. So for me, you're my first gay friend and like, I get it now. But that's my point is our platforms there. They really are impactful. So when you cancel somebody, you don't give them the opportunity with their platform to show growth. Yeah. Which is what I think everybody's striving to do. I'm on the same page as you, but I can't lie. Like, I don't think I've always been this, you know, graceful in the sense of like giving people second chances. Like I think I used to be, you know, super, just like everyone else. Like, and it wasn't until I went through like a crazy public scandal that I realized like how much more deserving people are of a second chance and of forgiveness. And I don't know if I would have gotten to this place if I hadn't experienced that. Exactly. Well, you are done saying sorry to me for that. And for honestly, no promises. Like I'll probably say it the next time I see you. We just get drunk and I start to cry. And all of my like emotions are always tethered to like my business and like this existential crisis that I currently live in, which is that like I'm so controversial and it's like that's really like what I'm working through. So I, I probably will bring it up. This episode of Taste of Taylor is brought to you by Saqqara. This year, turn your resolutions into reality. Whether you're looking to try plant-based eating, build an empowered body, boost skin's glow, or simply feel your very best, Saqqara makes it easy to create rituals that actually last. Saqqara is a wellness company rooted in the transformative power of plant-based food. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful, plant-rich ingredients, and they're designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Their menu of creative chef-crafted breakfasts, lunches, and dinners changes weekly. And that's so you'll never get bored. And it's delivered fresh anywhere in the U.S. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Saqqara also offers daily wellness essentials for optimal nutrition. Saqqara's supplement packs called The Foundation and their Metabolism Super Powder deliver support for gut health, energy, immunity, and healthy skin. And also, Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue. Uh-huh. Ever heard of Vogue? Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering my listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Taylor or enter code Taylor at checkout. Again, that's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash T-A-Y-L-O-R to get 20% off your first order. Again, Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash T-A-Y-L-O-R and get that 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash Taylor. And now to the podcast. I want you to spill some tea that you're okay. going to be spilling in the book because I feel like, like you said, you are a thirst monster social climber, yep. which is, that's a compliment, by the way. Yep. Give us just like, on a scale of one to 10, how big is the tea? How big is the celebrity? I speak about like four or five major A-list stars. Um, nothing crazy, just my experiences with them. How about that? Okay, I have to ask you this now. Now that the book is out there, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you wrote in the book that you kind of secretly wish that you could take back or that you're like shitting your pants over people finding out about? Yeah, 100%. Like literally everything. Does that count? It's all so like vulnerable. It's stuff I've never spoken about. It's hard to write a book when you do a podcast every day and everyone knows everything about your life. They've literally seen the inside of your vagina. Like, so this book needed to be new, fresh stuff. And that required me to dig very deep. So I'm like embarrassed of like 100% of the things in this book, the whole thing. (laughs) All of it, 100%. All of it. (laughs) 
100%. Give us a teaser of what's what gave you the biggest pit to write about. Well, so, I mean, I had to, like, <laughs> there are just so many people from my past who, like, had, you know, um, they made an impact on me, whether it was a good or a bad way, um, especially from my childhood. Okay. So I did include those people, and I did change their names slightly, okay. but they probably could still figure it out. And I just hate getting, oh, you know what I really have a bit about? What? One of my teachers. <laughs> and I know he definitely, like, he's messaged me a few times. Like, I know he keeps up with my work, and he's an English teacher, so he definitely reads books. And I hope to God he does not pick this up. <laughs> like, I will truly. What if he reaches out to you? Well, he reached out to me. I, I actually tell the story in the book, but he reached out to me when I made a comment about him. It's like, it's such a long winded story, but I made a comment that was like kind of rude about him, and I like named him on my podcast. Do I ever think my English teacher who works at like a Jewish day school in the city would ever hear my podcast? No, but apparently a bunch of the kids in the class love the morning toast. And they were like, Dr. Gaylord, like you are on the podcast. And he sent me a message. I have a pit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Did you laugh out loud while writing this book? Yes. I mean, writing jokes for, for comedy is so much different than writing jokes that are being, uh, that are intended to be read. So I read a lot. How do you approach that? Well, it's like your tone has to be so completely different. And I read a lot of other books. Um, Some of the books that I love the most are the Andy Cohen books. And I actually loved Howard Stern's most recent book. And it was hysterical. So I just kind of, you know, looked at who did it best and tried to cultivate a tone that was conversational while also funny. And there were some jokes I had to add and take out that just didn't work for, you know, literary purposes also we have to talk about the cover oh yeah how many people have told you that the bathtub looks like a pad shut up (laughs) literally a hundred thousand like literally no joke no joke um did you realize that (laughs) at all at any point (laughs) not for a second literally didn't occur to me I didn't either, by the way, when you showed, because Claudia sent me like proofs of the book, like you sent me like a bunch of different options, mm-hmm. right? And all I could see was bathtub and it was fabulous. She Sickening. looked gorgeous. Ob. Also a bathtub, such a moment. And such a so moment. perfect for you. It the never occurred to me. White, it was like, and I thought it was great. And then I remember the second it came out, a bunch of people DM me like, does Claudia realize it looks like she's laying in a pad? And I was like, yeah. whoa. So I, I woke up on it. the day of the announcement. I've been waiting to announce the book for so long. Like, you know, patience is not my strong suit so like no, and I'm not. really bad at keeping secrets so like I was just irked I w- woke up at like 6 a.m. I had this whole strategy I was like vlogging and and I posted it and a bunch of people were commenting and then I saw the first comment I was like losing a sanitary napkin <laughs> and I'm like ugh, people on the internet are so obnoxious and then it didn't stop like stop. rolling in and part of me wanted to like have a breakdown and change the cover but then of part course. of me was like this is so iconic like of course this would happen to me and you know what I am a feminine brand so like yeah I put a fucking sanitary napkin panty liner on the cover of my book so be it what was the photo shoot like well, it actually was kind of uh, traumatic. So this tub was like, it was a sickening tub. It was like clawfoot. And oh. when we were having like the meeting about, you know, creative ideas, I said bathtub. And they were like, okay. I guess they didn't fully think, you know, how to get a bathtub up six floors in a Manhattan studio. And so <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that shit. The, uh, and how are we going to get water in it? Like it's a bathtub in the middle of a room. Like there's no... Right. 
faucet. So <laughs> the photo shoot kept getting pushed back. Like literally we're supposed to do it in March and I ended up doing it in August. Like it was just push back, push back. We finally get there. It's so exciting. Like all these ideas, my hair and makeup looks so good. Um, I'm starting the like, you know, couple test shoots. We're looking at the images. I'm looking fabulous. And I had asked if I could bring Theo cause I wanted him in a couple shots. Maybe he would make the cover. He ended up making the back of the book and he looks amazing. And when he got there, I was so excited and I leaned over to pick him up. And as I'm leaning over my back starts to spasm and I throw my back out. Stop it. And I'm literally in a bathing suit, which is my worst nightmare because, like, everyone working on the set, everyone working on the set was a man. And I'm like, I didn't even, you know, when you're spasming, you can't talk. Like, your back is just fucking frozen. And so I'm trying to communicate. I'm like, my back is being thrown out. And, like, literally these guys are like, is she okay? And I'm finally, I can speak. I'm like, oh, my God, please get me a chair. Please get me a chair. My back is being thrown out. So you have to get out of the bathtub in your bathing suit and sit in a chair. Stopping wet, bathing suit, in a chair, hovering over Theo, back is broken. So, we, like, of course, like, of all the days that we were going to oh. shoot this thing is the day I throw my back out. After months and months of pushing it back, it was so embarrassing. I never felt more, like out of shape and like disgusting do you know what I mean like this no, no, this no. only happens to someone who's out of shape I hurt my show my like neck over the summer mm-hmm. and I was like so fat shaming myself as I was like it's because you don't stretch yeah and I was like so just like in knots and it's I know and I felt like a thousand years old and I just it, I a lot of self-loathing going on it I is know. what it is I and <laughs> you know I ended up having to sit in the tub for most of the shoot so it was completely fine but it was so traumatizing and so mortifying that I think it was a perfect mood to set you know for my book so wait that gorgeous shot of you was that one you were in excruciating pain excruciating pain like I developed this back problem over quarantine because I laid in bed for six months straight sorry it's I'm just a victim of circumstance and that was the first day I had been working out like not working out working outside of my home you're like that was the first day I stood straight yeah and my back (laughs) was mad at me for it and he threw itself out it was crazy. Oh my God. Okay. I know we're running short on time. So I'm going to just ask this real quick. Cause I know I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm so excited to read your book because I don't know. I just, it feels like you're going to be like snuggling up in bed with me. However, <laughs> or the bathtub. Yes. We'll be naked together. Um, but also I love listening to you. So tell me about the audiobook. Wow. That shit was hard. You know, I'm yeah. like, I do a podcast. It'll be easy. And oh my God, it was hot in the room. Like I would, cause you can't put air conditioning on cause it affects the no audio. Noise. So it's just like right. a completely still booth. And you know, I took my shoes off. Like I made myself as comfortable as possible. It was also all done remotely. So like the editor and like we couldn't all be in the same room. Right. So it was, it was actually easier than I thought. It was four sessions, five hours each. That's what was scheduled. And I talked so fast. I got the whole thing done in two sessions. <laughs> Didn't even need of all course. four. Of course. But was it like, did you just read it straight? Because I'm, I'm trying to think of like when I've done voiceover stuff and you'd have to take, they're short and you take so many different breaks. And also when I was first starting radio, I had a boss that said, when you're doing like live reads, like smile, because when you smile, everything sounds happier. Oh. Oh, that's, I wish you told me that before I recorded my audiobook. 
Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, like basically we did chapter by chapter. It was hard for me because like I said, I don't know if I mentioned this a thousand times already, but I'm very out of shape and talking makes me get out of breath. Like yeah, the way some people do at the gym. So <laughs> I was like, I had to take a break pretty much every paragraph because I didn't want to be like, and then I went and my dad died. Like <laughs> it was, I had to, you know, section out my breaths. Uh, are you going to listen to your audiobook? No, I, I mean, I know that people hate the sound of my own voice because they tell me all the time and I feel that my voice is kind of annoying. The people who listen to my podcast have gotten used to it, so they will enjoy the audiobook. but I just, I'm the type of person, I don't watch my own show. I don't listen to my own show. I'm just very critical. So I know I will listen to it and be like, you should have taken a breath and stopped and then started again. <laughs> Same. I have people who are like, don't you air check yourself? I'm like, I'd rather die. I'd no, rather that's die. That's why you have Taylor. If I had to air check me, guess what there would be? No show. No show. I would cancel myself. I would, I would, yeah. I would, I would, I would literally, I would fire myself from my own business. That's I'm how with you. would be. Claudia, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you, you guys. Do not sleep on this book. It is out already. It came out January 26th and it is called Girl With No Job, The Crazy Beautiful Life of an Instagram Thirst Monster. And you can get it where it. Claudia, anywhere you can buy books. Anywhere. You can go to girlwithanojob.com slash book for all the links. But anywhere you get books, audiobooks, audio, uh, e-books, all the places you can get it. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, Google Play, all the places. Oh, I think I'm going to get the audio and then I'm going to like get like have the book and I'm going to let you read aloud to me. Oh, I like that. You know, the book itself is like, even if you're not a reader, I think that the book itself is so cute. I think it's perfect for a coffee table book. And when you take the sleeve off the book, I'll show you. I mean, I know we're doing podcasts, but I just want to show you the book itself, like without the um, cover is so cute and like pink. I love that pink. That is a really good pink. And it's 240 pages, nothing crazy long, because I actually don't like to read long books. Um, I have a short attention span. So it's short, it's quick, it's fun, it's sad, it'll make you cry, it'll make you laugh, and I really hope you enjoy it. I can't wait. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much, you guys. I love of you. Of course, also, follow Claudia the, everywhere. At Girl With No Job, uh, at Claude With No Job, uh, watch The, the Morning, Morning Toast, Toast, listen to the podcast. I mean, what else? Join the Patreon. Yes. Get the book, obviously. Yes. What else? What, am I missing anything? No, I think follow you Follow Pup With No Job. Boy With No Job, too. Oh, let's, uh, and Pup With No Job. And Pup, I, I just said that. Oh, shit, sorry. I was looking at myself in the camera. I forgot. You really, you are looking gorgeous. Do you have tons of press today? Um, yes. You were my second to last stop. And now I'm going to go do Access Hollywood. It will have already aired by the time that this comes out. Squeeze her. Squeeze her. What? Yeah. We got GMA tomorrow. Shut up. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Oh my God. What are you the most excited for? Aside from me on your press tour. Um, Access Hollywood, like a hundred percent. I mean, sorry. Really? Uh, well, I'm excited for Access Hollywood. I met GMA. That's like such a big deal. And I've been on Access Hollywood a few times, but GMA like has never had me. So I'm really excited. Oh my God. Are you nervous at all? Of course it's live. And like, who knows what the hell's going to come out of my mouth. I had to get media training. <laughs> it was helpful. Really? Yeah. What's me? What's that like? What I'll tell you all about you? it later. Claudia I love you to bits and pieces you guys make sure to get the book and uh, yeah that's it for us this week Uh, make sure to rate review and subscribe the podcast you have no idea how much that helps me if you like me do it if you hate me you should leave something really really mean and scathing because actually that helps too thank you so much pity people will pity you right exactly and you guys we'll be back next week until then bye girl bye